0: This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, and Kiki is back with us again for another week. (laughs) Hello, everybody. So, I guess we can get started with our little stories. We got two really interesting stories. Actually, this Bad Nurse story is for CNAs, which we haven't done a lot of CNA stories, but this one is a doozy. (laughs) It's something else. Man, it's quite disturbing, actually. Just to think that there could be people out in the world, you know, like this, that do things like this. It's very disturbing to think about. We all have, at one time or another, at least, probably had family members who were in nursing homes or assisted living facilities or someplace like that where, you know, they're vulnerable any of us at any time could be in that situation. So to think that there are people out there like this who would do what these two women did is so unsettling.
1: Yeah, it really is. Like when I was doing this show prep for this story, like I, I joke about it, but honestly, that's just how I cope with it. Mm-hmm. It's it's so disturbing to think that there are people like this that are working. Like people are so vulnerable in these
0: places. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, so, I guess without further ado, we'll get to talking about this. This is a, a story about Kathy Wood and Gwendolyn Graham. They were two nurse's assistants together at a, a place called Alpine Manor Nursing Home. And this was in Michigan. They had a romantic relationship and kind of got into some trouble, you know, together. They they were kind of, you ever know people who, like, on their own, they would probably be fine but when you put two, these two people together, it just creates, there's some synergy that happens. It just creates this monster. Yes. Well, that's kind of how Kathy and Gwendolyn were. They, you put those two together and it was just not going to be pretty. Kathy, well, both of them, first of all, suffered from personality disorders. It's just because you have a personality disorder or just because you suffer from mental illness does not mean. That you're going to turn around and do something horrible to someone else, and I definitely would never want to give the impression that I think that because I certainly don't. But a lot of times um, in these situations, people who do these sorts of things, for whatever reason, do you know struggle with mental health issues. It's just it's just a reality. So Kathy Wood, we'll just try kind to of start with her. She was born near an Air Force base in Washington. Her dad was a Vietnam veteran. She says that her mother was harsh and her father was physically abusive. She said her first sexual experience was with a boy. She loved him, but it actually ended up being a girl, this, this person that she was with. And so she felt betrayed and confused. By that whole experience, Kathy says that this experience, her being on the other side of that, it kind of confused her. There were some people in her life at the time that felt like she made that story up, that it didn't really happen at all. And that she was just trying to get sympathy from other people by telling the story. How in the world she thought that was going to get her sympathy, I don't know. But I mean, wherever this is from, just like people
1: saying they believe that, I don't know. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean it's true. And how would anybody think that that would get sympathy? I
0: don't know. I don't either. And and I do think that when it comes to this sort of thing, sexual orientation issues, transgender issues, there people do have a lot of different opinions about it. And I think there are a lot of people who maybe don't want to believe that it's a legitimate issue or a legitimate thing. So that does sort of sound like something people would say because they don't want to accept the fact that that could happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Psychologists say that she has narcissistic personality disorder. So basically, she thinks the rules don't apply to her and she could be whatever she needed to be to get what she wanted. She was married at a young age, 17 years old. She had an unplanned pregnancy with her lover, Ken Wood. And then in 1980, she gave birth to their daughter. She didn't really seem to bond with their daughter. Um, She was very disconnected overall in her life, according to Ken. And he was kind of hoping that her her new job at Alpine Nursing Home would help, um, I guess, maybe get her on the right track. Gwen, on the other hand, so we were talking about Kathy for a little bit. Gwen is the other person in this story. She was raised on a farm in Texas. Her parents were not the nurturing type. Her father didn't want her to be coddled. He believed that if her mom was too nurturing it would make her weak so in her earliest childhood she basically really didn't have any physical touch from her mother father suffered from substance abuse issues and was physically abusive and actually did sexually molest her she recalls her father ordering her brother to kill her pet dog misty because it upset one of their horses and caused it to buck a person off the horse And, um, you know, that's the sort of thing that sometimes people who live in more rural areas, especially kind of back in the day, you know, they were very practical about animals. And um, I could sort of see, you know, even people who were good people, you know, just like... Like a dog's a dog. Yeah, a dog's a dog. And if that dog bites someone and, and, you know, endangers a human life, they're going to put it down. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily they're trying to be cruel or they... You know, they don't want to be mean. It's just kind of the way it is. I don't know if that's <laughs> the case here. But but like to a little girl, that's like. Oh my gosh. Gotta yeah. be traumatic. Very traumatic. And for when she loved the dog so much that she dug it up and took some of its remains and carried them in a small box with her. I mean, that's that's very messed up. Yeah, know? that's really sad. Yeah. Psychologists say that she was had uh, borderline personality disorder with psychotic features. She didn't have a strong sense of her identity. She was very impressionable. So when people have this disorder, they need to be grounded. And a lot of times they do this by cutting or burning. Gwen had over 30 cuts and burns on her arms that she did when she was a teenager. She was 22 and she moved and got the job at Alpine Manor Nursing Home. So that's kind of their background.
1: I understand somebody cutting themselves or hurting themselves. For the need to feel pain, mm-hmm. I don't really like. I don't know. Does is that the same thing? Like they need to feel pain to feel like grounded? I don't really know. Like, I don't get it in this scenario. The way
0: I am, the way I kind of read that, and I watched. There's a couple of videos about this out there. This story. There's one on Oxygen. Actually, there's a couple of different ones. I th- I want to say there's one on Snap. But the way the impression that I get is just the way that they were kind of um, to me explaining it. It was like not necessarily. Well, I mean, I know, like you need, like what you're saying, like you need to just f- feel the pain. I think some people like the pain is actually almost like a, an addiction, almost like a high. Mm-hmm. But for some people, it's like I need to feel. I need to cut myself to know that I'm here, to be real. Like I can't feel anything. I'm numb. I don't feel like that's kind of
1: similar to what I was saying. Like they need to like feel pain because mm-hmm. they can't feel anything.
0: Yeah. I think that's what that means, maybe. It's like just having all these different, especially with psychotic uh, features, like what's real and what's not, you know. So she's 22 when she moved and got the job at Alpine Manor. I mean, 22 is young, especially with the situation she's dealing with. Kathy started working at Alpine Nursing Home before Gwen did. And a lot of the nurses' aides there just kind of like happened to be gay. So they would all go out to gay bars together. Kathy started having an affair with one of her coworkers. She felt it was easier to communicate in a relation, a lesbian relationship. And that just really, Ken felt humiliated by that. You know, I mean, to him, I guess that made him feel like, you know, who am I? He blamed himself instead of just, you know, he took it personally. Ken finally started just accepting the reality of of the situation. Kathy was kind of crazy. Okay. She would actually have her friends call Ken and pretend to be his ex just to see how he would react. She loved to just kind of like stir the pot and kind of see what would happen. <laughs> just kind of stir up trouble.
1: It's like, I don't know. It's funny just because like I can relate. <laughs> <because> i <like laughs> <laughs> to see what he'll do. No, no, no. Like I've definitely had those thoughts in relationships. I kind of detest it, but like I've never actually gone to the point of doing it, but I've like huh, I wonder if I'd happen to do this. But I'm like, that's kind of insane. You probably shouldn't do that. Like, that's my thought process. But Mm -hmm. I'm like, this lady, Kathy, she went
0: through. She followed through. Yeah, she really did. And the thing is, it sounds like she didn't really care about him. If you don't care about someone. And um, as we'll find out later on, she kind of liked playing games anyway. Everything seemed to be a game to her. So August 1986, Ken and Kathy did get a divorce their daughter went to live with Ken and Kathy didn't it didn't seem to bother her. She wasn't exactly fighting for custody. Kathy met Gwen a month later at the nursing home. Kathy first noticed Gwen because she walked into the break room one day and she saw all the scars in her arms. So they start talking about that. Kathy felt very comfortable with her and enjoyed her company. And she said she felt a strong connection with her really fast and they, they just became friends quickly. So Kathy and Gwen dated for nine months before suddenly Gwen moved back to Tyler, Texas. Now Their dynamic was interesting because... because... Because they both had very similar personalities. But Gwen was very naive. She could be easily manipulated. And Kathy was basically a queen at manipulating. So, you know, she's already kind of established that in her relationship with Ken. And then comes along Gwen. And the two of them just made it a really bad combination, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole thing. So on October 6, 1988, Ken went to the local police department and reported that his ex-wife Kathy was homicidal and that she had murdered five patients at the Alpine Manor Nursing Home. And this is a huge bombshell dropped on that police department. They had to investigate and really consider what was going on here because obviously Ken just gets out of this divorce. He's not happy with his wife. Uh, So is he just saying this out of revenge, trying to get of Revenge because of what's going on and her leaving him and all of right. that. I mean, could see that. Mm-hmm. So the police brought Kathy in for questioning. So at first, she said that you know she denied everything. She's like, "No, I didn't kill anyone. Didn't I? I have no idea." And, uh, Ken saying that, you know, I yeah, I said that to Ken, but it was a joke. But then after apparently forty five minutes, which to me that didn't sound like a very long time. Yeah, it's not very long. <laughs> it was like Kathy, you didn't hold out very long. But she admitted that the murders did in fact happen, but she said that it wasn't her that actually did it. She said it was Gwen. She said five patients were killed the previous winter and Kathy said that Gwen would roll up a towel and smother the victims. She said that Gwen would kill to relieve stress and then afterwards she would feel better. And I thought my coping mechanisms were bad. Yeah, I know. Me too. Kathy says that she was scared to tell anyone what was going on because Gwen was kind of like, according to Kathy, sort of like a psycho. She'd walk around the nursing home with a towel hanging out of her back scrub pocket, trying to intimidate her. And she really thought Gwen was going to hurt her. So, you know, she was afraid. She told Ken what happened because she wanted him to know in case anything happened to her. They did background checks on the two women. There were no criminal records on either of them. In Tyler, Texas, there was a warrant for Gwen's arrest for fraudulent checks, but nothing violent. They searched the records of Alpine Manor Nursing Home all the days that patients died in the winter of 87. Kathy and Gwen just happened to be working together on those days. So January 18, 1987, the first patient was killed. One month later, a 95-year-old was murdered, and the murders went on and on. One patient uh, said he was attacked, but no one took him seriously because he was older. And, you know, people don't take um, older patients seriously a lot of times because they think, well, you're just confused, you know?
1: Yeah, and honestly, after doing all these stories, like, I've had patients legit tell me, like, when I was down there, like, somebody was, like, mean to me. And I, like, don't take that stuff lightly. Like, even if they're confused, I'm kind of just like, okay, who was it? Like, tell me. And kind of, you know, look further into it to see if it could possibly be true.
0: Like, I don't know. Well, even if a patient is confused, that doesn't necessarily mean that what they're saying isn't true. Mm -hmm. So I don't think we should ever just discount it. I think it's real easy, though, to be working in this setting And we hear these patients a lot of times saying things that don't make any sense. And so it's easy to just dismiss it and go on. Yeah, That's the thing about doing a lot of these stories is it helps to kind of keep my focus where it needs to be. Because when I do these stories, it helps me to remember to, to listen to patients, you know, and to not just discount them and take them seriously, you know, if they say something like that. Because, you know, at the end of the day, any of us could be in that situation mm-hmm. and, and how vulnerable they must feel. They did interview their coworkers, and their coworkers remembered them being okay at first, but then. They also said that there were times when they were very unprofessional at work and would play games. They would even switch patients from room to room to try to confuse other staff orders. I mean, I can't imagine toying with a patient's life like that.
1: I know. I mean, like, given that this is like, what, in the 80s? Yeah. Maybe that's like another factor, but like... I mean, these are human beings. Honestly, like I was reading this story and I was like, this sounds fake. How would anybody... Even if they knew that they did this as a joke, how would anybody see that as tolerable and not get rid of them at that point?
0: I know. And yet these things obviously happened. Mm -hmm. Doing things like that, like playing practical jokes, literally toying with patients' lives, just shows the lack of respect for just human life and human beings. Kathy seemed to get high from stirring up trouble. The, The people that worked around them. You know, the other nurses' aides, they were kind of divided when they asked if they, th- if they thought that Kathy and Gwen killed their patients. Kathy says her letters from Gwen can prove her murdering um, of the patients, but the detectives couldn't find anything in the letters that would prove that Gwen murdered people. Kathy even took a polygraph test, but she did fail it. Detectives flew to Tyler, Texas and interviewed Gwen and searched her house. They thought she seemed polite at the first meeting. They couldn't find anything in her apartment. And then Gwen tells the detectives that she doesn't know anything about the murders and that Kathy has a sick mind and would lie about anything. So, Gwen said that one Halloween, Kathy had her dress up like a patient with restraints. Okay. This is so weird. Uh, yeah, this part,
1: I like, I couldn't even, like, Ugh. it just
0: doesn't seem real. It's sickening. It's disgusting. Yes, she later used the restraints in their private, to quote, playtime. Gwen was uncomfortable with this, but she went along with it. It let Kathy restrain her. So I guess Kathy's uh, obsessed with manipulating people. Gwen was very upset by this, and she claimed that Kathy was physically abusive to her. Gwen started another relationship with the nurse's aide at work, and Kathy was really not happy about that when she found out she went to the new girlfriend so that she could put Went away for a long time. She didn't back off. Gwen went back to Kathy because she felt feared for her life. And during this time, Kathy tied her up and aimed a gun at her and left the house with her still tied up. Gwen says she escaped Kathy by moving back to Tyler. And she denies any of the murders happening at all. But the, the polygraph that they did for Gwen, for Gwen was inconclusive. Detectives went back to Kathy about her failed polygraph test and said, You know what? You failed this because you were lying. You had a major part in the murders of the patients. And she finally gave in and said that they both planned the killings together as a game. Their game that they were playing, well, they were going to kill the patients in order so that the patient's first initials would eventually spell the word murder. However, they never got to finish the game and it ended up that basically the patients they were killing were the ones that were easiest to kill as opposed to trying to kill ones that had you know certain initials. They did, however, feel closer to each other as they killed patients together and they would say I love you forever and a day. And when they killed like Two people, they would say, I love you forever in two days. And then three people, I love you forever in three days and that sort of thing. That was their their weird game that they had going on. So November 1988, Kathy went to police for a second polygraph. It showed that she was actually telling the truth. They got a search warrant for two bodies of the victims, but they couldn't find any evidence during the autopsy that they were murdered by Kathy and Gwen. So detectives were at a dead end. All they had was Kathy's statement, and I guess, you know, they, I don't know, didn't feel like that was enough. So the case ended up going to trial, but it was difficult for the jury with no hard evidence for them to commit the murder to the murders, for them to convict that they committed the murders. But a surprise witness is actually what helped close the case. Wen's girlfriend from Texas said that she told her, Basically identical stories of the story that Kathy told to the authorities about what happened, which meant, of course, because there's no evidence that Kathy and this girlfriend in Texas had ever contacted each other. So in order for this woman to know the exact story that Kathy told, Gwen had to have told the story. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty much the proof that they needed. So September 20th, 1989, Gwen was found guilty of five murders and received six life sentences. Gwen was outraged that she was sentenced with no physical evidence of a crime. And Kathy pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and received 20 to 40 years with possible parole. She was denied parole in 2005. I mean, what a story! That's just crazy, unbelievable. It's honestly disturbing. It's so disturbing that, and and this was a while ago, but hopefully, people. I I know there are still people out there who are dishonest or you know sick enough to to want to do something like this. I hope that people would be afraid that there could be hidden cameras. You know, in this day and age, you literally could have a hidden camera anywhere. So. Our good nurse story this week is a little different because I wanted to talk about this story. I feel like this is a very relevant topic for kind of what's going on right now in the world. This is about Tioka Williams. Teoka was helping out a white patient out of the bed when the patient lost her footing and Williams grabbed her to prevent the fall. And then the patient told Williams not to touch her and requested a new nurse. So when Williams left the room, she overheard the patient on the phone telling someone that she did not want that quote black bitch taking care of her. A coworker also heard um, overheard the conversation, and then when Miss Williams went to her supervisor, she you know told her about the comments the supervisor went to speak with the patient and the supervisor then removed Ms. Williams from caring for the patient and assigned a white nurse to the patient instead. So Williams complained about the incident to human resources immediately after her shift was over. And she said that she was told that patients have the right to refuse care for whatever reason. So based on this reassignment, Tioka Williams sued her employer for racial discrimination in violation of Title VII and Michigan state law. So, with that, the hospital moved for a summary judgment and they argued that um, Ms. Williams failed to present sufficient evidence of intentional discrimination and that any injury was, you know, that any injury actually happened. So, a U.S. district court judge denied that motion from the hospital. And that judge said that a reasonable jury could conclude that the comment that was made that was overheard, you know, the Black B-A-T-C-H comment, that could constitute direct evidence of discrimination and that a, a jury could find that the supervisor's knowledge of the statement was contemporaneous with her, Miss Williams, reassignment. Basically, saying that a a jury could say, yeah, I can see the connection there. So she dismissed that appeal that the that the the hospitals try to say, hey, this uh, you know they can't prove that the reassignment had anything to do with race. And I think the judge is saying, no, the fact that she made the comment and that immediately after the comment. The supervisor was aware of the comment and then made the assignment. She could, a, a reasonable jury could definitely say that that was, you know, based on race that mm-hmm. she made that decision. So that's kind of what happened. And and now this hasn't actually gone to trial. This is the sort of thing that takes years really probably to play out. But Miss Williams did bring that uh, lawsuit against Beaumont Health System. And I would say that it was probably not an easy decision for her to make to do that because she knew that she was going to be filing a lawsuit against her employer. She's probably not going to be able to work there anymore. And it's going to get attention, media attention. It's probably going to make it difficult for her to get another job somewhere else. Even if they're not supposed to, quote, discriminate because of that, I would still, I would be worried that it would make it difficult for me to get a job, you know. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I wanted to do this in the Good Nurse story, I feel like that it was brave of her to do this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I love that she stepped up because this, unfortunately, it's not uncommon, like, mm-hmm. I've seen it all the time. I've been a nurse for a year and patients just make comments and yeah.
0: it's it's unacceptable. At some point it has to be you kind of have to put your foot down. And what should yeah, have happened there's, here There's
1: a fine line between patient centered care mm-hmm. and just like you're a straight up racist person mm-hmm. like and you're a customer of our health services. So like tough. Like you're gonna get the person who is completely qualified
0: to care for you Mm -hmm. and like you have to deal with it. That's your own problem. Any of us who are not people of color, you know, as soon as someone of color walks out of the room and that patient makes some kind of comment and you know that they're meaning that like in a derogatory way, I feel like we just have to be very specific in our response to those things. And the thing that happened in this situation was obvious Because she overheard in a phone call her say that. Honestly, like, if I ever heard somebody
1: saying that, I don't know if it's out of my place, I would legit just be like, if you're going to be hateful to somebody who is qualified to provide you with care, then, like, you can leave. Like, Mm -hmm. I can bring you the paperwork. This is a service we're providing to you.
0: Like, it's... It's unacceptable. To me, the right thing to do is to stand behind your coworker. Yeah, always. That's the only thing you can do. Stand behind them, um, lift them up, let the patient know where you stand, Mm -hmm. you know, in whatever way. So whatever they come at you, however they come at you, you come back at them in a respectful, professional way, but in a way that they understand where you stand. Yeah. You know, and you're on the side of your coworker. I don't know how else to combat that, you know. Well, I guess that does it for this week, and I guess we can. You guys definitely go if if you um have any kind of stories, yeah, or just experiences,
1: yeah. with this, like
0: absolutely. Let's talk about it. Oh my gosh, I would love to hear from you guys if you have experienced this sort of thing. If you're if you're not a person of color and you have been in this situation. How do you deal with that situation? If you are a, uh, a black nurse or a black CNA or who RT or whoever, and you have dealt with this, I would love to hear your story. I really would. I think the more we talk about this, the better it's going to get. Mm-hmm. And we got to keep talking about it. We can't just talk about it for a little while and then everybody go back to the way we were doing. We got to just keep pushing it forward, keep the conversation going. And you guys, you guys can find us on Instagram at Good Nurse Bad Nurse, or you can find us on Facebook at GMBN Podcast. You can definitely go to our website at goodnursebadnursepodcast.com. We've got merchandise on there. We've got t-shirts. Levi's cute little design that he did that says, not to brag, but my mom's a good nurse. I love that t-shirt. So cute. So cute. I love oh it so gosh. much. We're going to start doing, uh, we're going to do some of those for babies, which I think is really cute. That is really cute. Little onesies. Stop. I know. I need one for Dookie. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Yes, Dookie needs a onesie. Or, like, he needs a, a bandana or
1: something.
0: Oh, that's a great idea. I love that. Well, you guys, send us some messages. I love hearing from you. And I just want to also remind you that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, please be a good nurse.